Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia podcast this Friday edition. Really sorry I didn't have a podcast yesterday. One of my pieces of gear broke down, had to go get another one. It threw my schedule off, so I was able to get some of my other videos up, but I couldn't get the podcast up, but we're back. And you know what's neat is on Monday will be the one-month anniversary since I started up my YouTube channel again with the John Campia podcast and all the other videos I do. Uh, thank you for all the great well wishes and the and the nice words you guys have been sending me. It's been awesome. Awesome. I got to tell you, I have been having the best time that I have had in years doing my own YouTube channel. Again, it's been a lot of fun and you guys have all made it possible. So thank you very much. All right. Now let's get into the good stuff. Entertainment Weekly just dropped a brand new image from the upcoming DCEU film Justice League. And I got to tell you, I love this picture for several reasons. Starting off, with Batman. How great does Ben Affleck look as Batman? I have said it before. I will say it again, and I will continue to say it. I believe, I don't care how many of you laugh at me, I believe Ben Affleck is the best on-screen Batman that we have ever had. And look how awesome he looks in this picture. I mean, really, all three of them, that's such a classic comic book team hero pose. It just looks amazing. Gal Gadot's in there as Wonder Woman. And you know what? Say what I will about what I think about Gal Gadot's acting talent. You guys know what I think about that. That's fine. There is no denying she is one of the most beautiful women of the world. And man, does she rock a Wonder Woman costume. But the thing I really wanted to focus in on was Ezra Miller as the Flash. Look, I'm going to admit, when I first saw the designs of the Flash outfit and he looked more like Flash had sex with Robocop and Ezra Miller was their offspring, I wasn't really all that big into it. I thought it was okay, but I wasn't that big into it. But I'm going to say right now, the more I'm seeing it and the more I see it in footage and in trailers, it's actually starting to grow on me. Now, I don't know if that's just that I'm getting used to it or I'm just accepting it, but more and more when I see these types of images, it no longer puts me off. I'm now looking and thinking, yeah, this looks pretty good. As far as the movie itself goes, I've got a lot of hope for this thing. I mean, we've got Joss Whedon in there now kind of directing the ship at this point, which is always good. I think Warner Brothers has learned a lot of lessons over the past couple of years. Now, let's see if they can bring those all and put one big, gigantic, amazing Justice League package together. We've only got a few more months to wait. Next thing I want to talk about is this little film called The Layover that just dropped a trailer. It's an R-rated comedy and it stars Kate Upton and Alexandra Daddario, two of the most beautiful women in Hollywood, but there's a big talent gap between the two of them. Alexandra Daddario is clearly a really talented actress. I loved her in True Detective. Yeah, Baywatch, but we'll let her go for that. That wasn't her fault. Kate Upton is also gorgeous, but, you know, not exactly the strongest actress in the world. Last thing I saw Kate Upton in was actually The Other Woman with Leslie Mann and Cameron Diaz. Not a great movie, and she was probably the weakest part of that not great movie. But the thing that really gets me interested in this movie is the director. It's being directed by William H. Macy. Yes, the shoveler himself is directing this film. This is actually his second film that he's going to be directing. The fact that he's taken on like a raunchy R-rated comedy, I think is really interesting. The premise of the movie seems pretty simple enough. These two best friends decide that they need a vacation, so they go on vacation and while on the flight, they meet this really handsome dude. They have a layover and both of them now are fighting over this dude. I mean, like I said, it's pretty straightforward stuff. And I'll admit, I really wasn't expecting much when I hit play and started watching the trailer. Honestly, I actually thought it was going to be terrible, even though William H. Macy directed it. But I'm going to tell you, I actually thought the trailer was kind of funny. I, I wasn't looking forward to this movie before. I really wasn't. Like, I think I remember them announcing this movie like a year ago. And I remember thinking, ah, this is a throwaway thing. This is a straight to DVD thing, whatever. I just wasn't interested at all. 
But, you know, I like to call it like I see it. And the trailer made me laugh. I thought it was cute. Now, I don't think this has the potential to be like one of the great comedies of the year, although this year has been terrible for comedy. So maybe it will be one of the best comedies of the year at any rate. And I thought I liked it. I, I did. I, I, th- I think I like it. So listen, just hop on YouTube, do a quick search for the layover trailer, give it a look and then hop in the trailers or hop in the comment section. I mean, and let me know what you thought about it. Third thing I want to talk about today is surprisingly the Mama Mia sequel that's coming up. You know what I didn't realize? So Mamma Mia, we're only a couple of weeks away from its, I think it's ninth anniversary, nine years ago that that movie came out. At any rate, that movie made almost 600 or just over, I mean, $600 million worldwide. I mean, I saw the film. I thought it was fine. I never realized it was that successful worldwide. So it leaves me kind of thinking, what took them so long to get around to making a sequel if the first one made that much cash? Now, apparently the music of ABBA is going to feature prominently in this movie, just like it did in the first one. Although the interesting thing I read about this is that most of the songs in the new film are not going to be songs that were in the first one. They said one or two songs will reprise that were in the first one. But for the most part, these are going to be brand new ABBA songs. And by, by brand new, I mean, you know, ABBA songs that weren't in the first film. The thing that really caught my attention about the Mamma Mia thing, though, is the fact that they just cast Lily James. Now, I love Lily James. Ah. Oh. Lily James. And you might know you can see her in theaters right now. She's actually one of the stars of Baby Driver, still currently tied for my number two best film of the year, just behind Logan and tied with the big sick. If you haven't seen Baby Driver yet, I don't know what the hell you're waiting for. Anyway, Lily James has been added to the cast and she's going to play young Donna. Donna is the character played by Meryl Streep. So Lily James gets to play young Meryl Streep. Now, apparently this movie, the sequel is going to be going back and forth through time and they're going to kind of tell their story that way. I don't know how they're going to do it or what their plan is at this point, but you added Lily James, ah, Lily James. And so you catch my attention. Compound that with the fact that the original made $600 million, and now I am suddenly really looking forward to seeing Mamma Mia 2. Who knew? Anyway, with all that stuff out of the way, let's go on to the best part of the John Canby podcast, which is the topics, opinions, and questions that you guys send in to me. How do you get a topic, opinion, or question to me? It's simple. Just send me an email anytime to the John Campia podcast at gmail.com. Send them on in and make sure you're following me on social media. If you're not following me on Twitter, why not? Follow me on Twitter and on Facebook at John Campia, because every once in a while on my social media channels, I put out a call for questions and topics, and you can get them into me that way as well. So with all that out of the way, let's get to the first question. And the first question today comes from Brandon, and Brandon writes, my question is as follows. Was The Force Awakens $247 million opening near the physical limits for an opening weekend? Many theaters had showings all night to film demand and could not do much more than they did for The Force Awakens. What is the max opening weekend you think is physically possible if demand were not an issue? Yeah, this is a great question. I remember I had some discussions with some friends of mine when that number came out, the opening weekend, $247 million. To take a little bit of context about how big of an opening weekend that was, the number three all-time biggest opening weekend was Marvel's The Avengers. That's at $207 million. The number two just ahead of it was Jurassic World at $208 million. $1 million separates third and second. Almost $40 million separates second and first, with obviously The Force Awakens having $247 million, and next is Jurassic World with two hundred eight. It is an astounding number. That is just very difficult to even wrap your head around. And I remember having some conversations with buddies of mine about 
what is even the most you can do? Like, I honestly, like, seriously, I don't know until a few years pass and inflation goes up and the price of movie tickets continues to go up and whatever. I don't know that $247 million can physically be beat. It's like you're pointing out in your question. It's not that I don't know that any movie will come out that's more popular than The Force Awakens. Obviously, it will at some point. But can a movie theaters across America, remember, we're talking about North American box office numbers here. Can box office, can theaters across North America actually facilitate enough people getting into theaters to beat a $247 million opening weekend? Because like you were saying, movie theaters were putting The Force Awakens on almost every screen they had and practically running 24 hours a day to try to meet all the demand that was coming in. How do you put more butts in seats if the seats are already full? I don't know. So I'm going to go out on a limb and make a prediction. I don't think that The Force Awakens $247 million opening weekend will be beat for at least three years. Now, it could be 30 years. I don't know. But I just don't know that it can possibly be beat in the next three years. I, I really don't see anything other than Star Wars Episode Eight and Episode Nine. I don't even see anything else coming close. So, yeah, I think we're almost at the physical max limit. All right. Thanks a lot for the question. Now we move on to the next question. And the next question comes to us from Matt Varney, who writes... With the Sony-Marvel partnership details still blurry at best, has there been any confirmation on which members of Spider-Man's rogues gallery Marvel has access to? Clearly, Venom, Black Cat, and Silver Sable are off-limits, but has there been any deal made for Marvel to have first draft on the other villains? And, if so, who? Now, it's a good question. However, Kevin Feige recently made a statement that I think kind of answers this question pretty directly. Kevin Feige, because remember... You know, Amy Pascal made that statement about Venom's place in the MCU and there was some confusion, a whole bunch of kerfuffle. But anyway, Kevin Feige and Amy Pascal cleared that all up. You know, Venom and Black Cat and Silver Sable are in the same reality as the MCU. You're just not going to see them cross over. But anyway, while clarifying things, Kevin Feige made a statement. I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he said this, Spider-Man is the only character that is going to appear in MCU movies. That's what he said. Now, whether or not that can change, obviously anything can change. If Marvel decides, hey, we could really use this guy, they can go to Sony and they can broker a deal. Sure, just like that. They've got that relationship. They can do that if they want. But as of right now, according to Kevin Feige, there are no plans to use any other character. He said, Spider-Man's it. Spider-Man's the only one that we're going to be using in the MCU. Again, that may change down the road. But as of right now, if Kevin Feige can be believed, that's that's the way it's going to go for now. All right. Thanks a lot for the question. The next question comes to us from Fleming Jensen, who writes, Hey there, I'm a great fan of your channel. Well, thank you so much, Fleming. I have a question about the Valerian movie. When not many movie viewers know about the French graphic novels it was based on, do you think the audience will see it as a copy of Star Wars, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avatar, etc., when it's the other way around? And do you think it could influence the success of the movie? Well, first things first, Fleming. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Star Wars, Avatar, none of them borrowed or stole or copied anything from Valerian. So just stop that nonsense right now. Um, but no, I honestly don't think audiences are going to be confused. Yeah, there is a graphic novel that the movie is actually based on a comic book, and it's a very, very good one. You should check it out if you get a chance. But I don't think 
audiences are going to be confused at all or think that Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets is in any way, shape, or form copying Star Wars or is in any way copying Guardians of the Galaxy. Just by looking at the trailers, you can tell stylistically this is a very different film. Yes, it's a science fiction film in space, but guess what? There are lots of those. Star Wars, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avatar don't own the patent on sci-fi movies in space. So otherwise you can say, oh, are they copying aliens? No, they're not copying aliens. I think the general audience is smart enough to see the trailers to Valerian and know this is a very unique film. This is a very different film. This is clearly not copying from any of those other properties. Now, I have not seen Valerian yet. If you guys saw my podcast the other day, you know I went to go see it and I ended up going to the wrong theater. So I'm not going to see it now until Monday. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll see the movie and I'll think it's a copy. But if just going off the trailers, I really don't think that the general movie going audience is so dumb that they'll confuse this or think somehow that this is a copy of those other sci-fi stories. No, they're just, it's, it's like saying, oh, there's a cop movie. Therefore, that cop movie is just copying all these other cop movies. No, they're in the same genre, but it's a totally unique and different film. And I I think it looks different and unique. And the last question today comes to us from Tristan L who writes with Disney recently announcing that they have yet to cast the lead role in their live action release of Aladdin. What do you think are the chances of them casting Dev Patel? I personally have been advocating for him and Frida Pinto in the lead roles way before Disney announced a live action release in a what if scenario, having a slumdog millionaire reunion. What are your thoughts? For those of you who don't know what he's talking about, it was recently reported that Disney has yet to cast, you know, their lead guy, Aladdin, in the role. Now, they think they've found their Jasmine. They're looking at Naomi Scott and one other actress, Naomi Scott, of course, from the Power Rangers movie. She might be a nice addition to the film, actually, when I think about it. But at any rate, I put up an entire video about it. Just search my YouTube channel for Aladdin and you'll find the video report that I did on that. At any rate, one of the people they have looked at is Dev Patel. They actually did look at Dev Patel. So they did have that in mind. However, while they have not ruled Dev Patel out as possibly being Aladdin, it has been kind of made known that Disney's first choice is to go with an unknown talent. They want a fresh new face to to be Aladdin, all other things being equal. Now, it's said they've already auditioned over 2,000 people from India and Pakistan and all over the place, and they've yet to find their guy. If they continue, I mean, it's been so bad that they were supposed to start shooting the movie in July and they've now pushed it back to August because they can't find their leading man. If things continue like that and they cannot find a brand new face who's got the talent and the look and everything they're looking for for their new Aladdin, maybe they'll go back to Dev Patel. At this point, I'm not so sure that that's going to happen. So uh, for as far as I know, they're not looking at Frida Pinto at all. So she's already, like I said, they've already kind of narrowed it down, I think. And they're looking at Naomi Scott. I think she'll probably end up getting the, the part. But it depends on who they want to cast as Aladdin. I think they're not going to nail down who they want as Jasmine until they're able to nail down their Aladdin and then screen test some people together and then figure out who they want in that role. But I'm looking forward to the movie. I mean... It was an interesting decision having Will Smith do the genie, but you know what? When you just get over the initial shock of that and you think about it, that might actually work. We'll have to wait and see. I think there's a lot of really good things they can do with this movie, and I'm excited about it. Anyway, that'll do it for me, guys, for this installment of the John Campia Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Listen, while you're here, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on social media, on Twitter, and on Facebook, simply at John Campia. And the John Campia Podcast will, of course, be back again on Monday. Thanks a lot for all your support, guys. So until next time, I'm John Campia. Bye-bye.